It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Welcome to the Two Jacks combo version podcast where we go around the world and end up. Uh, where I'm from, where Jack's from, but not where he lives. He's Hong Kong Jack, and he's living in Hong Kong. What's the day like there today, mate? Well, we're getting closer to winter. We've had a, had a couple of 13-degree days last week. Um, that's a bit chilly. Um, uh, our flat here is not really designed to keep the heat in. It's designed to keep the heat out. You know? <laughs> right. So does it get cool? You, you yeah. need the heater? You need, the, need to pull out yep. the electric heater? Yeah, yeah. Mm, okay, yeah, it's like a lot of Sydney houses are like that. They just don't, they're not built with, with heating um, because it doesn't get that cold in Sydney, but um, where we are, it gets plenty cold. So uh, there's always <laughs> a great big open fire there. We're just going to kick it off just just a, a, one of your drop kicks, one of your country boy drop kicks away in China, mainland China, and the death of Z- Jiang Zemin, the president uh, of China between 1992 and 2002, two-termer. Uh, and uh, and General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party between 1989 and 2002 died on the 30th of November. Jack, let's talk legacy about Zhang Zemin. How will history treat him? Pretty well, I would think. Um, uh, he got off to a pretty slow start, in part because Deng Xiaoping was still the, um, the power behind the throne at that stage, mm. and, and it looked like the economic reforms were stalling a bit, and Deng undertook what's still called the Great Southern Tour, where he came down and had a look around Shenzhen, the, which was still half rice paddies in those days, um, uh, and, and Guangzhou, uh, and he sort of... Um, rubber stamp the continuation of the economic reforms. And after that, Jiang Zemin, uh, his career really took off. He was he was, he was a very successful uh, president in my Really opinion. opened up China's trade to the rest of the world, perhaps Manic- well, Manic- even, more, more, even more so than Deng Xiaoping. Yeah? Yeah, well, well, Deng got it all set in train, but there was, there was still stuff to do. Um, uh, Jiang Zemin managed to persuade the, uh, the Europeans and the Americans to let him join, let China join the World Trade Organization, which is of huge benefit to Australia, uh, to, to China. And then, of course, he managed to, he managed the handover here in Hong Kong very successfully. Um, so, uh, history will be treating him pretty kindly, I would think. Pretty kindly. Spoke Japanese, perhaps not fluent, but he learned it uh, during Japanese occupation. Uh, yes, of, he, uh, yes he, 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 he rather surprised these Japanese hosts at a meeting by rendering his name. The, the Chinese and the Japanese have very similar characters. Like Shared characters, normally read yes. each other's characters. <clears throat> and, uh, and he surprised his Japanese host by rendering his own name in the way that a Japanese reader would say it. Um, and he explained that he had learned Japanese um, during the six years of occupation, but he apologised that he wasn't entirely fluent because in those days he didn't have much time to study. <laughs> I think he would have been uh, fighting for the removal of the Japanese. Also a big fan of Russian culture and um, a, a big fan of Tolstoy, perhaps, perhaps more than Solzhenitsyn, and that's probably right too because uh, Solzhenitsyn. Have you ever read Solzhenitsyn, Jack? I a little have. bit dreary, a little bit dreary. Uh, a little bit slow. Yes. 
Um, it uh, requires patience. It does require great patience. There's about five pages that he he's, dedicates he's to sort watching of the, the sort hands of the move around a clock. And, sort of the uh, Patrick White of um, uh, of Russia, really, isn't he? He was indeed. But Tolstoy, a magnificent writer, and uh, yes, uh, Jang pronounced uh, Tolstoy and Russian literature generally as great. Um, he, he, he learned his Russian working in a Russian factory in China, I might add. So, yeah, multilingual, highly skilled uh, and a great Chinese uh, politician has left us. Uh, Jack, uh, while we're on China, and this is probably the big story, is the is the, is the approach to COVID changing? It seems to be. We, saw, we talked about protests last week in, in Shanghai in particular, uh, and there were further protests later in the week. Um, uh, is is the government now responding to those concerns or is it just um, deciding that uh, there needs to be a, a different response to COVID? Well, the usual caveat applies. It's always a little bit hard to yeah, know for sure uh, mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're talking about what's happening over there. Certainly um, in uh, our neighbouring city here of Guangzhou, it's just up the Pearl River from where I'm sitting, about 22 million people I think live up there. Um, uh, but you can't go. Well, you can go, but you'd have to wait a week to uh, to enjoy yes. it. Yeah, yeah. You used to be able to go pretty easily. It's about a bit, a bit over an hour on the fast train. Um, uh, but now it's a bit more difficult. Uh, they'd been locked down for some time, but they're all back at work as of last Monday. Um, and, uh, and that's a bit of a change. And one of the leading officials who's supposedly in charge of the COVID response managed to get through a whole press conference without mentioning the words dynamic zero COVID, which mm. indicates that perhaps that's, you know, a past tense thing. This is uh, this would be Sun Chunlan, the yep, vice, vice Premier of China's Cabinet, who said the pathogenicity of the Omicron virus weakens. Uh, so that's telling us that the official position is now that uh, they may well be moving into living with COVID status, Jack. But they won't use that, that, that phrase, I don't think, um, but she says they were now facing a new situation with new tasks. Uh, it's, you have to sort of wonder um, uh, how much this is that they've discovered some weaknesses in their control mechanisms during the process. That when it, you, you never know. You design these things so... This means we can keep control of the situation, but when it's tested, and it has been tested with these protests, perhaps they've discovered a few little loopholes that people are exploiting to keep the protests going. No, there's always that, but but I'd also like to think that China's economy has suffered significantly through the pandemic, and uh, and, and with an eye to you know improving Chinese uh, uh, economic performance. Uh, I think that might be driving a lot of these uh, new moves now, Jack. <clears throat> well, that's always been the great unwritten treaty, if you like, between the Chinese people and the Communist Party for the, for, for, from the Deng Xiaoping era on was that the people would agree that the Chinese Communist Party could run the place provided they were all getting richer and, 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 they're, having, and they're living a, a much better life, a good life. Um, and that's under threat to some extent by the, uh, the stalling economy. Yes, indeed. And look, uh, just one thing that we've noticed, and we noted uh, in your reports from Hong Kong early days during the pandemic, Jack, that, that there is an aversion among the elderly to get vaccinated in China, yeah. and that was the case in Hong Kong too, I believe. 
Yeah, yeah, and for some fairly obscure reasons, to be honest, I think. Um, a great deal of trouble here getting the over-80s vaccinated, and there has been in China as well. But they've now got a program um, that they say will ensure that the over-80s get vaccinated. We'll have to wait and see whether it works. Yeah, and getting back to that economic issue, I know Australian manufacturers, having talked to a couple last week, are still suffering from uh, supply issues um, that are still down, and, and much of it is down in China, um, and and they, they're, they're, they're suffering all sorts of problems at the moment. And this is a sort of global issue, but it, the genesis of it is now China with its, uh, its supply routes uh, coming under or have been under strain for a couple of years. And we're seeing now that some of the big manufacturers are, are, are moving away from Chinese manufacturing, and the biggest one of the biggest of them all is Apple. Uh, and they're moving. A, well, they, their plan is to move a quarter of uh, all iPhone production to India by 2025. Yeah, as quickly as that. Uh, and this is happening on a wider scale. It's hard to know how much is due to COVID and how much is due to manufacturers generally saying, well, look, we don't want all our eggs in the Chinese basket. We want to spread it around a little bit. We, we spoke a few weeks ago about how much Vietnam is um, yes. benefiting from that. Um, uh, so, you know, this is probably good news for India, Vietnam, Malaysia. Um, you know, perhaps, perhaps not the Philippines. The Philippines, and we should sort of talk about this a little bit more in other programs. But the Philippines sort of misses out on a lot of on a lot of uh, the, uh, the the great vibrancy of the Southeast Asian economy. Yeah, it's hard to know why, really, isn't it? I mean, it's full of uh, well-educated people, English-speaking yes. people, um, uh, but the only thing they seem to produce in terms of foreign exchange are remittances from Filipinos who go and live elsewhere. Go and live elsewhere, and often, as we see, uh, as we see in the Middle East, go and go and labour yeah. their bodies out uh, in places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but that's that's what forty or fifty years of bad government will give you. That's yeah. right. Yes, you, 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 you might be better off with French colonists than American colonists. Is that what you're suggesting, Jack? Well, well, the Americans haven't. It's the only place they've really done colonialism. They did it pretty badly, um, mm. and, and the French were least better than that. The Brits, we were lucky. The Brits were the best colonialists there were, by and large. By and large, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are one or two, one or two gaps there, Jack, uh, mm. in terms of humanitarian issues. Um, maybe with the Belgians on the top, but uh, but the Americans. Really, in a in a almost a post colonial phase, we're still running the Philippines, and it just seems to be, you know, the the outlier in in, in uh, the Southeast Asian economic drive uh, more than anything else. But that takes us back to the states, Jack, and uh, and we're also well, well, we were treated to uh, uh, a piece from the Atlantic this week, which just uh, landed in your lap uh, this week, and you flicked me the article. It's a uh, a, a, a personality study of Ron DeSantis that Ron DeSantis wasn't involved in. Um, so that's one thing. But it did call upon a lot of Republicans, strategists and what have you, uh, who came forward with the view that that uh, DeSantis is a pretty dull and uninteresting person, not terribly engaging, and, and this might be a major problem when he does or if he does decide to run in 2024. Yeah, uh- Quite a few of the Republicans that they spoke to were sort of disillusioned Republicans, former Republicans, if you like. It's a bit like talking to John Hewson or, you know, the late Malcolm Fraser about you know, what's wrong with the Liberal Party. You're going to find plenty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. But one of, the, one of the comments that caught my eye, Jack, was that 
uh, the question was put about Ron, uh, would you want to have a beer with him? That's a very Australian uh, political view, isn't it? You know, would you want to have a beer with him? And and the answer, the answer is probably not. Uh, but you might not. You might want to have a beer with Trump. Um, yeah. I think that's it. You know, I think well, that's what the article was trying to push the idea of. Very Australian concept. Well, with, with Trump, you'd be, you'd be the only one having the beer because he doesn't touch it. <laughs> doesn't, um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Carol Markowitz, a, a Russian emigre, um, uh, but now United States citizen who writes for the New York Post, recently moved from New York to Florida, and she says, look, he's pretty good company. The first time she met him, was at a dinner and they sat up till two o'clock in the morning drinking good scotch. That's so, right. Well, obviously, Ron drinking. So that was. Uh, so she thinks he's uh, has an abundant personality. He certainly seems to be the pick of the Republican Party at the moment. But the article uh, uh, found him to be, and I quote, dour and doesn't improvise particularly well. Now that is an issue, Jack. If you're a politician, you need to you need to come up with the with the strong line off the cuff very quickly. You do. Although we've had some successful politicians in Australia who you wouldn't have a beer with. I can think I can think of Kevin for starters, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Kev, yeah, Kevin had uh, actually wrote a very engaging uh, piece uh, on the death of Jiang Zemin. Actually, uh, I might flick you the link, Jack. It'll be the yep. three minutes of your life you'll never get back. But no, it's actually very thoughtful and, and, uh, and China know, uh, Kevin knows China Pretty, pretty much better than just about everybody else, or so he thinks, uh, perhaps. But um, uh, yeah, well, if you look, ask him, if you ask him, I'm pretty sure he'll tell you that. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but, but significant. Look, he does have significant knowledge. I, I don't mind yeah. uh, giving him a bit of needle, but that he does have significant knowledge of uh, of, uh, of the history of uh, of uh, China in the modern era. Um, but look, when. DeSantis gets into a primary mode. This is this is you know the, the image I always have is half a dozen of them lined up uh, in a debate, and it's how they react to each other and mm. as well as the questions. And Trump is very good at that. Or he certainly was in 2016 because he was the maverick. He could take the professional politicians out. He might have a little bit more trouble this time, but he does have that gift of the one-liner. Well, well, the lines were really good. You know, lying Ted Cruz, little Marco Rubio and low-energy Jeb Bush. (laughs) In in one night, he killed off all these opponents. Yeah, he did. And and that's what being quick. Um, But also it played into a played into a view within the American public more broadly that, you know, politics uh, as they knew it had sort of failed them and and, uh, they were looking for someone else and along came this guy who slapped his opponents down in no uncertain measure and I think that contributed largely to his victory in 2016. There there was a dissatisfaction with the political establishment on both sides uh, and and he tapped into that very well. and, and then raise some issues that no one else would talk about, like immigration. So um, that, that was the large part of his success. But he was really good, and he is, I think he still is, really good at what the Americans call being put on a line, you know, you know being walking along beside a line of, a pe- line of people who are behind a barricade, shaking hands, all that sort of stuff. And he was very fortunate in 2016 that his opponent, Hillary Clinton, was absolutely hopeless at that. Well, we've discussed that, and I think politics is, la- is, a, is probably about 90% luck, Jack, and 
And uh, when getting you have, the right uh, opponent, a big thing. You know? It is a very, very big thing, and that's kind of what happened there. It will be it will be much tougher, as we've discussed in twenty twenty four for for Trump to go, and really the primaries will start in late twenty twenty three. He's got some problems, not least of all. Uh, he doesn't send out very good invitation lists, Jack. Uh, he had a um, he had a dinner for well, Kanye West. Kanye West, you call him Ye, you call him oh, Ye. I, I call him Ye, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 Kanye West. <laughs> I refuse to do it. I'm not calling him what he wants to be called. Um, I'll call him Kanye You're West. His pronouns, Jack. And he's brought, along, him, he's, yeah. he's brought along. He's brought along as his uh, as his plus plus one. He's brought Nick Fuente, Jack. He's just an outrageous Nazi, you know, white supremacist, absolutely, and has the look of that the white supremacist, you know, like. Not a very handsome man at all. Always, the, the, generally, the people who, who who talk white supremacy are pretty much genetically challenged. You find, uh, and he ticks a lot of those boxes. Um, uh, the loudmouth Jones was also there. Uh, Trump apparently claims uh, that uh, he didn't know Fuentes was going to be there, um, and uh, and um, uh, he he said to his staff because it's been quite a blow up around this, particularly with a lot of Republican senior figures coming out and giving him uh, giving him uh, the rounds of the kitchen over it. Um, Chris Christie was probably the loudest, but um, uh, so too was the uh, former uh, House Majority, sorry, former Senate Majority Leader uh, and a number of others, and included Benjamin Netanyahu, Jack, uh, who urged Mr Trump to renounce the toxic dinner pair, Kanye and uh, and his mate Nick Fuentes. On Kanye West, Benjamin said, and that other unacceptable guest, wouldn't even name him, I think it's not merely unacceptable, it's just wrong, and I hope he sees his way to staying out of it, that is Trump, and condemning it, uh, Netanyahu told uh, the media over the weekend in Israel. Uh, and there'll be more January 6th stuff, Jack, but uh, there's nothing really bigger than this because head of the Oath Keeper, Stuart Rhodes, has been, been found guilty of seditious conspiracy over the January 6th insurrection, and his co-defendant, Kelly Meggs, has also been found guilty. Uh, the other four, uh, I think there were another, yeah, all five defence. There were another three who were subsequently acquitted, uh, but they've been uh, they've been convicted of uh, obstruction of an official proceeding, and uh, all uh, five men are due to be sentenced. Another four have already pleaded guilty. What does uh, what does Stuart Rhodes get for being found guilty of seditious conspiracy, Jack? Oh, it's so long ago since they convicted somebody. The civil war. <laughs> <laughs> it was a civil war law. Um, I, mean, I, I know. I know. I'm getting up in the years, but I'm not quite that old. <laughs> well, I think you'd be looking at well, the the the, the, the maximum is twenty. So I think you'd be looking at near enough to that. And uh, and the other three who have just been found guilty of obstruction of an official proceeding. I'm, Put them down for about four or five. We'll let you know when sentencing occurs, listeners. And meanwhile, Jack, the, the, uh, this Joe, is not this is not Trump's biggest problem at the moment. Can I just tell you, this was just sent to me this oh, morning. It's not, it's not. I wouldn't. This I is, certainly agree with that. <clears throat> this is with um, this is uh, something that Trump posted on. What does what, what he call it? Trump Social. Truth Social. Truth mm-hmm. Social. Uh, so, with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception <laughs> in working closely with big tech companies, suspend the, the constitution. DNC, and the Democratic Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out 
that's in capitals, and declare the rightful winner, again in caps, yeah. or yeah. do you have a new election, again in caps, um, et cetera, et cetera. So he's um, determined to keep fighting the 2020 election <laughs> as 2024 comes along. So it's a not losing a move. He so. wanted to suspend the, the Constitution, Jack, on yeah. True Social, so, um, yeah. uh, which is a bold move. Uh, and I, and this is what this is what I get to. And I still have that vision of the half a dozen primary candidates standing up, uh, chipping at chipping at each other, uh, and answering questions. That's where that's where that's where Trump loses because yes, he, he won't stop babbling about twenty twenty and how he was done and a man a man a man cheated. You know, um, even even the per- people who liked his policies and generally su- were prepared to support him, who didn't mind that he was a disruptor of the political establishment, they won't come at being told they've got to refight the 2020 election. <laughs> no, indeed not. That is his biggest problem. His mm. delusion is his yes. big problem. Um, meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden, not delusional at all, he's told coal miners to, the coal miners in, in New Hampshire, uh, to, to learn to code, pick up the yeah, laptop, right, drop the pick. Excellent advice, you know. <laughs> well, tell me, why is coal down? I mean, US isn't a big exporter of coal. No. Uh, it generally is uh, uh, designed for domestic consumption, uh, but uh, US coal production is down by 10% in 2019. If we know anything about the mining industry, if things go into decline and, and mines become unprofitable, they just shut the gate. Um, they, so it uh, looks like there will be some coal miners looking for work very soon, Jack, so maybe that's the answer. They, they generally shut the gate after making a half-assed um, effort to rehabilitate the uh, the land they just dug up. You know. um, <laughs> that is what or sometimes uh, they don't do anything and uh, yeah. just drive out the door in a cloud of dust. Um, yes, look, the, we have had this issue. The, the idea of coding has been sort of running through our own politics and uh, that we <laughs> Every every child should learn to code and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's not that necessary. If you're not going to work in IT, it's not necessary at all um, to learn to code. I mean, learning how it works and 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 so forth is probably an area area life that uh, that you will get back. We'll will enhance your knowledge of how this all works. But uh, getting four and a half thousand blokes, including people in their you know fifty five plus, to drop their uh, uh, picks and maddox and go and build an app. Um, is probably asking a little bit too much. Yeah, this has become a sort of a running joke on uh, on uh, on the US Twitter. Um, uh, you know, the learn to code yeah, because Joe started telling uh, coal miners etc. to do this some years ago, um, and people have turned this around now that other people are losing their jobs, like CNN presenters and journalists, uh, yes, uh, from yes. various places and producers and backroom staff. Uh, and whenever they're on Twitter complaining about having lost their jobs, the response quickly comes in, you'll just have to learn to code. <laughs> learn to code. <laughs> that is a bit rude. I believe they're, well, they're expecting sort of thousands of layoffs at CNN. Yes. Uh, and they're starting with on-air people, Jack. They are. Yes. Which is which is a bit rude too, isn't it? It's not the normal way. Normally you chip off, chip off the blokes who've been around for a while, been there 20 years and... And you don't want to have to pay them their uh, their long service leave and what have you, or you or you're going to have to deal with it in terms of redundancy. Then, and then they'll get a mess of kids in to do pre-production or to do to look after the production stuff. But they've actually gone the on-air people. So see you later. I, quite, I think that's refreshing. That's where you've got to refresh. 
Well, they'd already started doing this. They got rid of uh, uh, Brian Stelter, uh, I think because he was hopeless, uh, Chris Cuomo because of sexual harassment allegations. Yeah, that was an easy, easy decision yeah. to make. Uh, oh, and, beca- and because he was um, uh, acting as a political advisor to his brother who he was reporting on. Um, uh, and uh, But now they've moved into people of um, otherwise sort of blameless people and getting rid of them as well. What about the wolf? Is he still around? I don't know. He's, look, he'd be, he'd be, I'm going to take a stab at his age, but he'd be well into his 70s. Yeah. And I just wonder why, you know, I mean, I do look at a lot of media across the world and, and you see people who have become um, big names and, and they just sort of refuse to uh, hustle along when it's retirement age. You know, they, 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 they fear the, the, the relevance deprivation, I think, and that's why they hang in there. And, and sometimes um, um, media companies keep them on well past their use-by date. Yeah, I think that is a bit of that too. Yeah. Meanwhile, in, uh, in, in Russia, Jack, uh, our very favourite uh, 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 dress-up um, uh, political leader, with the exception, with the exception, of yeah, Justin I, I, I've got to pull you up here. <laughs> no, look, okay, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, the, he is the governor. He yeah, is pre- the governor. Don't yeah. worry about that. Pre- but pre- uh, but Mac- certainly number one in Europe is uh, yeah. Emmanuel Macron, and he's come out saying uh, that the Russians basically need some guarantees about their security uh, uh, if they proceed with talks over the Ukrainian conflict. I call it the Ukrainian invasion because that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Macron, um, uh, he does have a point in that Russia's not going away um, and the war is going to end at some stage and for the the end of the war to be anything like successful, um, everybody's got to get um, some sort of security out of it. That means the Ukrainians got to get security from um, another invasion um, and but the Russians are going to have to get something they can live with as well. Well, well, because the, the, because the Russians will be there when Putin's gone. Zelensky says we'll talk once you move past the, the February borders. Once you go back behind yeah. the uh, February borders, and we'll talk about uh, the price of reconstructing our country. So that will require a financial penalty for the Russians. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm saying these are pretty much non-negotiables for Zelensky. And also, we want to proceed with with uh, with war crime trials. So I, I they, might be, they, they might be non-negotiable for Zelensky, but um, they, I don't think they're going to be non-negotiable for the um, Europeans shivering away in front of their non-existent gas fires. Well, I, I mean, I just we'll, – we'll get to see where that is. But, I mean, they invaded – Surely yeah. they expect to pay a price. They expect they, they expect to pay a well, price. They've already for, paid a price. Uh, well, they've already paid a price in in, in, in men and, and women. You know, soldiers. They've already mm. paid that price. They're paying the prices. They're paying the price now of uh, of um, new uh, new well sanctions. Generally, the new sanction that came in or is due to start this week is selling Russian oil. At a cap of sixty dollars a barrel, which is, well, it's about thirty bucks shy of the uh, of the international price, uh, and Zelensky is said to be very unhappy about that too. But um, but uh, uh, the West has gone ahead with that sanction. Um, 
it's still you know at sixty dollars a barrel, it's still still pretty big profits for uh, uh, for the Putin administration. I mean, I just don't know where you go with this. I, I, I you know, in terms of them all sitting down, I, I cannot see how they've got really anything in common. The Russians will want the Donbass. The Ukrainians will be well entitled to say, well, we want Crimea. You know, we want Crimea back. And if we don't get it back, we'll fight it and get it back. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I would say the Ukrainians can only fight with the support of uh, Europe and the United States, um, and, and I don't think that will support that support will remain open-ended. Um, you, you, I'm sure you're absolutely right about that, but the simple fact of the matter is who started this, and the Russians started this, and they will pay the, they, they must pay the heavy price. Uh, for what is a complete, complete and, and utter political failure uh, on the part of Vladimir Putin, who remains heavily ensconced in power. Nothing's going to happen there. Maybe we might get some progress if he wasn't there for one reason or another. Yeah, don't, don't think you'll be going anywhere very soon. No, um, all this stuff is too for, for the is Ukrainians' nonsense. sake, they're going to be much better off if, um, if, the, if the West... Um, comes in and does the reconstruction because the Russians will make a complete pig's breakfast of it. And, Jack, just to keep us going, and I've just got to talk to you about publicity on this, but uh, the in the UK there is the Royal Racism Row, which is uh, an alliterative I came up with all on my own. Uh, and a black British woman uh, <coughs> was, uh, was accosted at a Buckingham Palace function by an 82-year-old woman who's known as the lady of the bedchamber, Jack. What do you think she does? She get, keeps the sheets warm or something? Well, I don't know. Does she... <laughs> they do have similar roles in, in pornography. I do know that. Um, but um, so, so she's fronted up, fronted up this woman while feeling her hair, by the way, because the woman had her hair in braids and was fingering it and going, where are you from? And she said, well, I don't know. Um, I, 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 the, 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 the charity that she represents is uh, in a sub, sub, suburban London. So she gave her that, the answer first. And then, then she said, no, no, where are you really from? And she finally told her that she was born, uh, born in England. And uh, that should have been the end of it, Jack. It should have. Um, but she just I, kept going, didn't she? I, I, used, to, I used to work with a, 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 a Hong Kong Chinese uh, ethnicity bloke um, by Sydney born and raised. I think his parents had come over to run a Chinese restaurant in North Sydney. Um, uh, and he was forever being asked, you know, where you're from. They'd say, Ed, Ed, where you're from, Ed? And Ed would say, um, uh, North Sydney, mate, um, <laughs> uh, in, a, in, a, in an accent as like mine, as flat as a shit carter's hat. Um, and, uh, and eventually they, they just persisted. He'd say, well, you know, when a daddy loves a mummy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is kind of bizarre. And look, let me tell you, Jack, this comes out on the eve of a Netflix series, and I know you'll be watching this. This is uh, Megan and uh, and Harry's uh, Netflix series, and I expect a full report on the show when it, because it's coming out this week. Well, well my, my wife's taken up to watching Netflix, and I can tell you, I'll give you my take on Netflix right now. Netflix dramas and uh, are the same as dramas on network TV, except they've got more sex and swearing. <laughs> yeah, that might be true, but I expect a full report on the Megan, Megan and Harry because I mean this 
This racism row with the 82-year-old woman who's been given the flick, um, <laughs> patted on the shoulder and sent off to early retirement at 82. Well, is um, that early retirement? <laughs> I, I, she was expecting to put in a couple of years. And apparently her daughter is uh, also... Uh, uh, you know, works for works for the Royals, um, and and you can tell they probably trace their family history back um, uh, earlier than the Windsors, and so she's probably just got a you know she probably just got a bit of an interest in genealogy. You know, perhaps her great 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 grandfather had enslaved the the, uh, the woman she was talking to. His great 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 grandfather. So that is all very possible, of course. But it is delightful. It is delightful piece of publicity, and I'm not suggesting anything underward here, but it's just a delightful piece of uh, publicity for the producers of this Megan and Harry show that will be appearing on on Netflix, I think, starting this week, Jack. So you'll be you'll be tuning in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> I want a full report. Nothing, um, nothing I like more than a couple of um, well-off, privileged people complaining for about two hours. Yeah, time. that's yeah. what you're going to get. And and, and uh, so I expect... Woe is me. You know, I'm only <laughs> worth $50 million, you know. Well, and, uh, she was in a lot of those dramas you were just talking about. Um, uh, they don't sort of stream now, but uh, she was in a few of those uh, sort of American TV Yeah, my son that, used to watch a thing called Suits that she was in. Suits, yeah, yeah Suits, she yeah. was in Suits. Uh, so, look, you know, uh, next next episode, perhaps the one after that, we'll get your full report on how you've seen the um, – how you've some, some things we have to do, Jack, not because we want to, yeah, but yeah. because they're important. It's, um, a bit, it's a bit like reading Mark Carton's tweets. I read them so you don't have to. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I've read them. You read them because I can't, uh, having been given the ass by uh, by the great man many years ago on Twitter. Um uh, moving over to Iran, we've been talking on about the protests. We call them the most uh, courageous people on earth. The protesters in Iran, in Tehran in particular, uh, and uh, and there seems to have been. We talked about how the state might respond, uh, and really it had two ways of going. It, it, it was basically either ratchet up the repression, uh, or, uh, or, or 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 tone it down a bit, and it would seem that the uh, Iran's attorney general is Mohammad Jafar Motazeri, uh was at a re- religious conference uh, over the weekend when uh, he said the morality p- police was going to be disbanded, um, and uh, he said the morality police had nothing to do with the judiciary and have been shut down from where they were set up. Uh, that is because uh, the morality police, they've got a title, Jack, um, um, my Arabic uh, or indeed Persian's not great, uh, <coughs> but um, um, it's been shut down now, Jack. That's, um, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, well, if it has been shut down. Um, one's always a little bit sceptical about these sort of announcements from the Iranian authorities. Yeah, so well, the, the, well, the point that um, the Attorney General, the Iranian Attorney General was making was that it, it falls as part of a, um, uh, it, it's not part of um, 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 uh, the religious element of the government. It, it, it runs outside as a sort of, uh, runs outside that as a sort of um, 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 state sort of driven response. Um, but in any event, um, the protesters are just saying, well, we don't, we don't care about that. We, we're yeah. keeping going. So I don't think it's 
I don't think if it happens, as you suggest, there, there needs to be some uh, cynicism about it. Um, uh, but uh, protesters are saying it won't be enough for us. Yeah, well, I think they understand that what they're fighting for. The, 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 yeah, I, I, I think they can see some weakness too. Um, yep. Uh, but the hijab has, is, um, uh, is, is a personal choice. That's what the Iranian government is saying now. That there, So there will be no... Uh, be none of the uh, the nonsense that led to uh, the death in custody of a woman who, who refused to wear a hijab uh, a set way, um, and um, and uh, we and the response from the protesters is we don't care. Uh, well, it was only, only a couple of days ago a rock climber from uh, Iran who, who competed in had this thing I didn't know this called competitive rock climbing that you can compete in. Oh, it's, it's an Olympic event now. Yeah. Is it? Oh, okay. No, it has been for a while. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and she competed without the hijab, um, and uh, only to find that the house that she came from, uh, her family home in uh, back in Tehran, was burned to the ground. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's awful. So, uh, so we have to be a little, have to be just sensibly sceptical about whether yeah. th- whether the morality police are being you know put back in the barracks or not. You know? Yes, but protesters are saying, amongst other, a revolution is what we have. So that's what they're thinking. They're thinking mm. revolution. Hijab was the start of it, and we don't want anything, anything less, but death for the dictator and a regime change. Mm. And, and, so, and I suspect they think they can pull that pull off. it off. Yes, mm. it's bound to be messy because there is that there is that divide. I mean, the, the protesters and I'm cheering them on from the sidelines. They are middle class um, uh, city dwellers, and the people who by do support large. the mullahs, yeah, by and large, and, and and by and large, the people who support the mullahs are in the rural and, and regional areas of Iran. Mm. All right, but Jack, I just wanted to bring this to you because you're you're a hard man now when it comes to protesters. You wanted them locked up left, right, and centre. Um, and no, this is no, that's some, not correct at all. I'm, but I'm, hang I'm, on, I'm, a protester who blocked the Sydney Harbour Bridge in a protest over climate change has been sent to prison after a magistrate slammed her for her childish stunts and selfish emotional actions. She'd been sentenced for a minimum of eight after she pleaded guilty to seven charges, including using an authorised explosive, not as prescribed, possessing a bright light distress signal in a public place and interfering with the safe operation of a bridge. That's... That's the hanging. That's the hanging charge, as far as I'm concerned. She wept in the gallery before, uh, before being dispatched for eight months. I reckon if uh, her people appeal, if she's going to appeal, she'll, she'll get off that. That seems too harsh to me, Jack. Well, I looked at it and thought it was well too harsh. I'm, I'm never a fan of sending people to jail for anything other much than violent crime, but um, uh, but I, I, I am. Uh, I am not a fan of sort of self-righteous disruption of other people's lives. But the problem is, Jack, regardless of what you're, what you're protesting about, that, you know, and we saw this with freedom rallies and all that sort of stuff, that, 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 that no matter what the stance, what the move, what the movement's about, it is designed to disrupt, whether it's just closing down city streets or, you know, the, the, the whole process is disruptive. Well, protests used to be about 
getting the point out there. Now the maximum thing is that people say, well, the only way we can make our point is to disrupt everybody else's lives. And it didn't used to be about that. If the disruption was really at a minimum, it was just getting a bit of TV coverage. Now they've decided the only way they can get TV coverage is if they, if they disrupt a whole city by locking, that, locking the streets up. And I'm not a fan of that. Oh, it's going to cause a lot of people a lot of hardship through through the day, you know. People like to work. I mean, that that might be just a very small part of it. There would be people who are involved in emergency situations, just those sort of general family crises that were stuck on roads and so forth. So it's a terribly selfish thing to do. But eight months in the slammer, I wouldn't have thought that was anywhere near it, and I'm glad you agree. Uh, the, there was, a, was a very amusing case of this in uh, in the Europe somewhere this week. There was a a large, um, it was a, I think it was a, uh, not sure it was quite a symphony orchestra, or maybe it was a chamber orchestra, who were performing, and some uh, I think climbers disruptors wet and glued their hands to the little barrier that this, that's that's behind the conductor, so he doesn't tumble back into the crowd. <laughs> And and they were going to two of them. They got there and they glued their hands to this, and they were going to make their point. Um, and uh, and much to the amusement um, and the cheering of the large audience, um, the uh, producers of the show knew that this barrier that prevented the conductor from tumbling into the crowd could just be lifted up out of the podium and carried <laughs> out of the room. So they did just, some chap comes on and does just that. And because their hands are glued to this little barrier, they had no choice but the, the, the protesters but to follow him meekly across the stage and out into the uh, out into the <laughs> out into the hallway where they were left for a couple of hours while the concert. Uh, concert yeah, very proceeded. nice. It is like it is great to see a protest. I, mean, I look at some of the some of the cookers who have been locked up for various things over the journey and and uh, or charged with various things. Um, a lot of them were were those sort of COVID based laws, and I, I fully accept. In fact, they've, they've been, I think, uh, through the uh, through the legal services, the community legal services in in New South Wales. I think some th- uh, two thirds of the thirty thousand outstanding charges have been wiped away. Mm. Um, but some of this stuff, you know, regardless of where it is. Uh, I've, I've seen a few of these cookers before the courts and treat magistrates like garbage and all this sort of stuff and, and they end up just nothing, just nothing um, and walking away. So the idea of this woman facing eight months seemed a bit much to yeah, me. So but, but, but I don't think that's a binary thing. There is a, there is there are think different got, things that can be done between yeah. you know, sending someone to jail for a non-violent crime and saying it's okay, just go ahead and do it. Yeah. I, I, I think what we're dealing with here, if I may be so bold, is we've got a magistrate who might whose uh, whose rulings might not and pass at pass at a high court level, Jack. Uh, well, any, anybody, any any of us who ever had to make lower court rulings know that um, uh, uh, you're going to get rolled occasionally. Yeah, I think trust me on that. I mean, look, by the time the pool get up, she probably would have served two or three months. But anyway, um, we we are still overseas. We're not hanging around uh, in Sydney just yet. Uh, but um, uh, <coughs> we, there's big news on in in uh, in Malaysia, Jack. Uh, <coughs> Uh, at that uh, Anwar, after being 40, oh, I'm going to say 40 or 50 years, probably 40 years, um, <coughs> uh, is is now 
is now going to be uh, the, the, the leader of uh, Malaysia. He, ha- he has had a few setbacks. Well, he, he's done a bit of bird himself. <laughs> um, uh, I got got one, I think two, two twice for sodomy, I believe. Um, yes. And and one of those is a nine year you know, jail sentence, most of which he served. Yes. And and then there was another conviction and another long jail sentence. So he now uh, uh, has brought into a coalition. Uh, he's from the sort of centre left, uh, <coughs> and. Uh, and he's got a sort of shaky coalition going on, Jack. After the uh, after the elections in Malaysia, yeah. The problem in Malaysia is everyone's trying to put together a coalition um, that, that needs to include the Islamist parties in Malaysia, but no one wants them to have too much say. So that's the tricky bit of of, of cobbling together the coalition. Well, the major parties too copped an absolute spanking, but the big loser. Was ninety-seven-year-old former PM the recalcitrant Mahathir Mohammed? We can call him that now, Jack, and he won't jump and d- jump up and down, or he can't. It's not yeah, going to mean yeah. anything. Do, do you think Paul Keating might have had his well, his dabs on this? You know, and a little bit of a bit of well, he might have had a bit of a giggle when he read it in the newspaper. Um, <laughs> everyone from his party, called the Homeland Movement, did not win a seat. And including uh, including old Mahathir himself, who lost his, and has yes. left the Pal- uh, Malaysian political scene with with nary a whimper, hardly a bit of noise at all, as yeah. he's disappeared. Fair income. If you think you're going to do things as a political leader in a country when you're 97 years of age, you really do need your head red. That's the first step. No, um, you've got to, you've got to be a senator in the United States or or, or the speaker of the house <laughs> for that age. So, so the old Soviet Politburo, there'd be a spot there yeah. for you too in the nineteen seventies. Um, yeah, so uh, look, that's that's huge news, and I guess the thing that we're wondering about, and uh, we do, uh, we are, we have a, had a solid read of John Manajew's blog, who writes uh, significantly about uh, uh, international affairs. Um, he suggested pearls, that, pearls and irritations, and I and I keep an eye on it. It's a good read. Yeah, it can be a good read, and um, and he it, and he's it, it could also be like a uh, a student newspaper for aging former public servants sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> it can be a little bit like that too, which is why I don't spend a lot of time on it. But he suggested that the coalition that Anwar uh, has put together is is uh, is a bit shaky at best, and they might be might be back. Next Saturday night to sort it all out, as I used to say in wrestling, Jack. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's it's um it's, it's in a in a fluid state. I think the politics in Malaysia. Yeah, fluid state, but good to see. You're going to say if you're going to say something about Enway, you're going to say now this is a man who will not be deterred easily. No, he's kept plugging away, shall we say? So to, so to speak, yeah, so to speak. And in uh, in Australia, Jack, uh, we just want to kick off the local study. With there's been a bit of. Uh, been a bit of, uh, shall we say, a, a, a commentary on voting behaviour. There are significant shifts in demographics, and I'll go through them in a little while. Um, voting behaviour, uh, according to Michael Sexton in the Oz, was democracy, and we'll just read this, democracy is moving against the Liberals in several electoral groups. This is particularly true among young people who often are attracted to the Greens. I'll keep moving. Uh, <clears throat> 
uh, they have never, because young people have never experienced anything other than continuing periods of stable economic growth and assume this cannot ever be disrupted. That's why they vote for the Greens, according to Michael Sexton. It's the young people, Jack. They're the problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I just thought you. this is absolute nonsense. Before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Moreover, they have grown up in a society where many members of the community assume the solution to every social problem is substantial government funding, but appear to make no connection between a government's revenue and its expenditure so that it is accepted without contest and there can be increased public spending w- uh, uh, without any increase in taxation. It really is... You know, you would you would have picked this sort of rhetoric up in the 1970s, you know, that sort of eternal generation gap nonsense, as if yeah. you can, you know, p- pigeonhole young people in, in, that, in that way. I just thought it was just a piece of junk. I thought it was a waste of kilobytes uh, in, that, in that piece. Look, I did enter the fray last week because, you know, as we discussed last week, the Victorian election result was extraordinary. And, and you and I talked about things that, just weren't present on the Saturday night. I mean, it, it looked like the Greens had had a decent night. Well, you know, they, they went back to the back to the fray um, pretty much. They've, they've picked up one seat. Um, and um, and really it looks like, and I haven't checked the figures for a few days, but it looks like Dan Andrews will be back with a sort of 54, 55 seats. You know, same, same or similar thumping majority he had in 2018. He's had since 2018. And there are some, clearly some things to be factored in there, although it's too early for us to an- analyse demographics, age, gender, et cetera, on, on that state result. But the federal stuff that's pouring in now is showing that the Liberals have got some really big problems. Um, Chris Mitchell also wrote about it in The Australian Today, and you can have a look at his column as well. Chris tends to think that there'll be cycles, and there, and there are, of course. You know, I mean, there are always swings against governments, Generally speaking, there are there are there are swings against government. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're ineffectual, uh, and sometimes uh, they blow governments out of the water. Um, but Chris Mitchell, um, Chris Mitchell made two good points. Um, I thought one is that every time you think this is the end of a party and that that they're in such dire straits that there's no comeback for them, history tells us that's not quite true, that they do come back from there. The oh, other good a, point is... There's a few before World War II I can point you to that no longer exists, mate. I mean, it, it is a yeah. bit much to say that the political parties have a have a, have a forever life, you know. No, it's I, just, it's not I'm right. not saying that at all, but I'm saying that <laughs> he, he, he ran through a few times in recent history where people were saying this or that party was finished and it turned out not to be true. He's absolutely right to do so. The other thing, the other thing, the other good point he made was make sure you read Jack the Insider's column. In he did, phone. he did. That was a very good point. Well done, Chris. Um, but uh, look, we just want to go through there. I mean, look, they're getting about one vote out of four from women yep. across across the board. Now, and we're not, I'm not saying for a moment that can't change, uh, um, but I'm, I'm saying they have got, and I hate the term, they have got serious brand problems right now. And that is it's seen as, you know, like this podcast, Jack, <laughs> a, a, a graveyard of old white men uh, mm. chattering away. Um, and the young people, the, the millennial vote. So the millennial Millennials are defined by those who came of age, who basically cast their first ballots either in 2001, 2004, 2007, and that, that's the millennial group. Now, that millennial group was was next to nothing in um, 
in 2004, but at that time, in that in that demographic group, about 42% of them voted for the coalition. Now, uh, in 2022, we're seeing that down about 26%. And again, it shows you that it's changeable and it can change. Um, but at this stage, it's looking very, very solid. Um, that demographic, you know, you would but, expect... But in, as- in, that, in that period, in, in 2004, it was 42% for the coalition. I've not seen the figures, but I can tell you that from, from, from Labor Party people, they tell me in 2007, the great Kevin, Kevin 07 election, they swept the floor with, the, um, with the, that, that demographic. Then they lost it again. Yeah, look, if you want to talk 2007, then you really did have a bit of a shift in, in that demographic that Howard had treated as his own and, yep. and was very, very good at keeping it in that 55 plus. And you see a significant change from that sort of 55 plus away from Howard. Um, uh, I'm just uh, just going and Chris off. Mitchell's, Chris Mitchell's point was that happened in 2007 and, you know, not very many, not very many years later. What uh, six years later, it swung back the other way. I'm not saying that there won't be swings. What I'm saying is that this is a long trend, and that, and that as the as the millennials get into the system, and by the next federal election, they will make up forty five percent of all voters. And if you've got that differential, where you've got basically one in four of that of that huge chunk voting liberal. And, and with the other profound problems that they've got, including that they, you know, when people are voting for right wing parties, they're not preferencing the libs, not to any degree, not not to the same degree. You know, this sort of discipline that the green votes and other right minor right wing parties come back to labour. Um, that's why I, I labour sort of adds seventeen percent of their vote. That the, 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 the minor parties on the right are incredibly well. They're, they're kind of. They're, they're nuts. Really, they're nuts, Jack. Just nuts, come out yes. and say so it, mate. I'm, I'm trying to trying to find a polite way of saying they're a bit. They're a, they're a bit. You know, a, a sandwich short of a picnic. You know, nutty, um, chewy. Whereas, you whereas know, the, very, the very greens crazy. are a little bit nuts, but they're reasonably disciplined nuts. Well, uh, Fon. You know, Fon's a good example. I mean, it's, it's about 65, 35. You know, so so Labor doesn't lose that much with mm. on the Fon vote. And that tells you also that some of some of the Labor votes have 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 seeped to fine, you know. Hmm. Um, but yeah, look, the, the numbers aren't good. They definitely need to get more women into the party. As I said, Peter Dutton might have to wear his baseball cap backwards and talk to the dudes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, if they don't make changes, they can't they can't expect to arrest this, and and they really do. I think the. The, the argument about moving to the left or the right is really a nonsense. What what they need to do is get better candidates that appeal to the demographic that they're losing. What they need to and do... And let the broad church is, set it out, sort it is out. To, is to get better candidates who are really interested in winning government. That's the mistake the Labor Party made for 30 years, was to elect people who wanted to project ideological purity and they got rid of a lot of those and pre-selected people who actually wanted to win an election. Look, it's a decent point when they put forward sort of religious, shall we say, fundamentalists, you know, when they, when they put forward in Victoria, sort of putting, and, and in the federal sphere, putting together people who, who whose religious beliefs are that far from the mainstream um, that they really can't be considered as genuine candidates. So I don't know where those people are getting thrown up from. We know the Victorian Liberal Party is full of... of you know, it, it opened its doors to sort of religious 
fundamentalism. I hesitate to use the word extremism. And that's part of that, you know, part of that pre-selection process is going to deliver these people in there. I take your, take your point, but I, I think what the worst thing the party can do now is have that left or right debate because that will mm. further tarnish the brand. And it's something the commenta- commentary loves to do, but it, it let the broad church sort it out, get some younger, um, uh, uh, ambitious, uh, candidates who want to get in for public service, not because they want to push some ideological barrow or some sort of spiritual barrow. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people's an individual's religious beliefs matter much at all. People don't really care about that. What matters is oh, they do. Belief. They do if they're extreme, mate. They they do if they're extreme, and they do if they're you know if they've got a profound anti-abortion um, uh, view. You're just not going to get women voting for you, younger women. Younger professional women, the figures there are one in six, Jack. So it's about sixteen percent of that vote, and they won't vote for religious nutters. They just won't. So you know, you're going to have to purge these people from your party, and it's not going to be very pleasant. But you've got to do it. You're going to have to do it because they're, they're continually throwing up awful candidates, half of which have to be disendorsed during a campaign because they haven't done the bloody um, haven't done the research on them. Yeah. So that's what they've got to do, and I know I was watching Jane Hume on Sky News on the on the on election night, and she's been pushing hard for this. Whether they have um, whether they have a quota for uh, advancing women into the party um, or not, they keep talking about this, but they never do anything about it, um, or whether they just sort of get around to just approaching the right people to represent them uh, or, or to be the, to become new candidates. Um, we're going to find we're probably going to have this similar discussion around March of next year, mate. Yeah, well, I'm an, I'm an agnostic on quotas, but uh, it really is about finding people who who, um, uh, who don't have any particular. It's not about chasing particular religious views or particular ideologies. You've got to find people who want to win. Yeah, and for the right reasons, I think, because they are devoted to public service rather yeah. than pushing some barrow. Um, what does all this mean for the? For the voice, Jack, and we uh, we'll get to the Nats in a minute and how they dropped out and the rather spectacular response from uh, Noel Pearson. Um, uh, <coughs> we've got uh, got a poll. You've got a poll of three thousand on the voice, there, Jack. Yeah, from a company called Eighty Nine Degrees East. I think they they poll for the Labor Party by and large. Right. Yeah, not coming um, across them. Sixty two percent yes of that thirty percent strong yes. 30%, 32% what they call a soft yes, that's a yes but maybe, and yeah. 20% no. And on the face you'd say 62, um, uh, 20, that's a, you know, it's going to win pretty easily. But I, I must say I didn't find that um, that poll all that comforting. Um, I think that um, I'm still, I don't think this, this is any better than a 50-50 chance of succeeding the referendum. Well, I'll pose another question to you, Jack, and we'll just do the we'll do the Nats now. We may as well, right? Uh, the Nats have come out against it. Now, Jacinda Price is a senator from the CLP, which is not quite the National Party, but it may as well. But it's a fellow traveller. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and she was the spokesperson while David Little Proud stood to one side, which. Uh, was something that caught the uh, the eye and uh, and the tongue of um, of Noel. I mean, it was a terrible piece of uh, terrible piece of uh, of leadership from Little Pratt. Uh, but Jacinda Price was the spokesperson in explaining why the National Party 
uh, would not be part of or would not be supporting the voice referendum. Now, I'll put Jacinda Price to one side for a minute. We haven't had a referendum for a long time in this country, Jack. Maybe this idea that bipartisanship has to be in place for, for a referendum to be assured doesn't stand anymore. Oh, I don't think that was ever a requirement. No, it was never a requirement, but the, but the the shall we say the prevailing wisdom was that if you don't have if you don't have um, um, support uh, if you don't have bipartisan support from the two major parties, then uh, you, you know the referendum would almost certainly get rolled. Yeah, no, I've, I've never been convinced that that was a, um, a, so a precondition of a precondition of success. Mm, mm. I, what, I you've, do. What, what you've got to do is to take the great body of the people with you. And I don't think that um, uh, what the politicians in Canberra decide necessarily carries the great bulk of the people with you. <clears throat> yeah, look, they're going to be, well, there's a great big concert will be on the ABC, Jack. That, those are the sorts of things that are going to catch the eye. There's not a lot of information out there. I know Linda Burney dropped a, a fair amount of detail last week uh, to the public, um, but these things are still being uh, talked about and discussed. Um, let's get to Jacinda Price for a minute. Um, Noel Pearson was particularly scathing of her, um, of course, uh, but the, the final comment he made in regard to her uh, was the one that got me, and that was he did not discern in her, in her, uh, in her uh, conduct in public life that she had any answers um, to uh, to deliver practical outcomes for Indigenous Australians, I think that's always going to be the knock on her. She did com- she did after Noel gave her the round to the kitchen and little proud. She did complain that she was being bullied, Jack, and that seems to be a uh, a, a bit of uh, behaviour that she needs to get out of her um, uh, needs to get out of her practice. I mean, she, she every time she gets attacked, she she claims she's being bullied. Um, and uh, I think she needs to knock that on the head. But I, for the life of me, well, I if don't... she wants if she wants to be a politician, you've got to have a thicker skin than that. Well, it, it, and she claimed that her uh, she had received thousands of calls of support, but then she received other uh, other calls of death threats and what have you. And yeah. you know, she I'd she be... she called she basically called Noel, Noel Pearson a bully. Now, yeah. that, and she gets she did this with the Fitz interview. Without well, he, well, well, well he, he can put up with that and she can put up with a little bit of bullying um, as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to be in politics and they both It's just are, rhetoric. It's not bullying. I mean, you know, don't use the term because it's not right. Well, I don't, don't care. You know, I don't it's really just, care it's just you bully, And if you're not up for it, you know, you, yeah, <laughs> you can well, take your bat and ball and go home. That's exactly right. Both of them can take their bat and ball and go because they're both in politics. Mm. So if they can't put up with it, they can take their bat and ball and go home. Um, I read the um, uh, the Karma Langton report yesterday. Um, have you read, read that? So, you know, I, don't know, I don't know how many pages. It's quite long. Um, it um, uh, And I've got to say that my um, scepticism about whether the referendum will pass was increased after reading that report because I think the more that that kind of detail gets out into the public, the less chance of success there is. What do you mean? So be specific. I've it's, read the it's too complicated. Um, it doesn't. It. It. Um, I read it and thought most of this is not going to work. 
So this is the stuff that Bernie released during the week, is it? Yep. It's, and, and this has come from really from the desk of uh, Marcia Langton. Yep. Okay. Well, I better get myself up to speed on that, Jack. Um, look, uh, I, I, I think the question that should be put to Jacinda Price now and forevermore from journalists is, what have you done in terms of practical reconciliation? What have you done? You've been a deputy mayor of Alice Springs and why that might not be the highest position in the country, you have had a leadership role here. So what have you done? And more importantly, what do you what what would you do? And we want to sit back and we want to respectfully listen to to what you might do about delivering practical uh, uh, reconciliation in Australia, reducing uh, uh, the hardship of people living uh, in uh, in in remote Australia. Uh, I'd just like to hear. We'd sit back and because basically we've been trying to deal with this, with with open hearts for a long time, and there's been a lot of money wasted for no great outcomes. So yeah, well, well, I, I would agree with asking Jacinta Price that question, and I think that question should be asked fairly generally of people who who work in that area. It, it, yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't know if you if you ask Lydia Thorpe, mate, you, you might never escape alive. Yeah, well, that's probably right. Well, <laughs> well, her boyfriend might come around and give you a visit. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, ex boyfriend, come on. Let's oh, is he ex boyfriend now? They're still friends, Jack. They're still friends. Okay, yeah, they're still friends. All right, now we've got to deal with this. It's a really unpleasant thing. Uh, the Lehman trial. It's now been. Um, Pulled up by the uh, the ACT DPP, uh, he, uh, the announcement was that the trial retrial would not proceed due to uh, the to, to a risk to the complainant, Brittany Higgins, uh, risk to her health. And Jack, you asked me what I thought of it. Now, you'd been expecting so- something like this to occur at some point, um, uh, and you asked me what I thought, and I just thought, well, this is this is one matter that should have gone to trial. This is one where we just needed an outcome, but we're not going to get one. Yeah, I, I didn't think it would go to go to trial in the end, or there would or that there would be a retrial, retrial. because I mm. because I don't believe that um, um, it was. I didn't believe, and I still don't believe that it was possible for him to get a fair trial. Um, and and I thought that eventually the court would come around to the same view. There was an application that was meant to be heard last Friday at ten o'clock. Um, which was media embargoed, and we still, as far as I know, don't know what was in that application um, or what evidence they were going to call. Um, I believe that there is an application before the court to remove that media embargo so we can find out what was in it. Um, uh, but the DPP decided to move before that hearing started and and to um, uh, discontinue the case. Um, uh, I don't think he was going to get a fair trial, and I think that was largely because there was a public trial, if you like, a mob trial in the media between the time the charges were laid and before the charges were laid, and the time of the trial. But um, it would have been. But he what, didn't? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you believe that he was that he had received a fair trial uh, no. in, in the first trial? No, and, I don't, I don't and, think. And, I don't and, think the first and, trial and should that, have gone on, and that the jurors went, if not for a bit of juror misconduct. Um, they would have come up with a verdict. No, guilty or I, not guilty. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that that, that he, he had a fair opportunity in the last trial, and he certainly wouldn't have in the next one, in my view. Well, what what would have been different? Uh, the statements outside the court immediately afterwards. And that was where Brittany Higgins spoke. Yep. 
Yes. Okay. So you believe that was an issue, and, and the and the not just her statement, but the reporting thereof. Yeah, I'm not so sure, Jack. I mean, basically, why can't we, why can't we do this again? And look, I understand that there may be some some mental health issues for for the complainant um, arising, but we go to a judge only trial and and get it done. I mean, I just I just I cannot understand how we cannot have an outcome here, whether it's guilty or not guilty. We need to go I, through I, the process. I don't think a judge I don't think a judge only trials available in the ACT. Oh, well, that's a problem for them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I look at ACT justice in recent times at the lower level, Jack, and uh, it's pretty ordinary stuff, let me tell you. They bail people out who should not be bailed. Um, and uh, there's, there's a sense of um, really uh, almost a sort of, uh, you know, justice is – justice is uh, well, there's one bloke who, who allegedly assaulted a woman – and uh, he continues to get bail. He, he finally got, they finally locked him up. I won't get into that now, but it, it, it's left me wondering about ACT, uh, the ACT courts more generally. So I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, overall, we know where this is going to go. This is going to go in the civil courts. Um, I think that would be a mistake from anyone who brings the matter into the civil courts. Uh, there's been no statement from Bruce Lehrman in that regard, although there is some talk of it, whether that's true or not, who knows. Um, but uh, Brittany Higgins is bringing an action against, according to the Australian Today, is bringing an action against uh, two uh, two federal ministers, Jack. Yeah. yeah and, and there might be some sense in that for her, um, but, um, yeah, it's a mess... The whole thing's a, mess, a, very, a, a very messy situation. It's terrible for Brittany Higgins. It's terrible for the Lehman, accused yeah. as well. Mm. Um, uh, you know, his life's being ruined. They're both uh, being I ruined. I've got no idea whether he's guilty or not. I wasn't there. Um, but his life's a mess now. And, well, so and is the, hers. I mean, and, 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 and that's, the discontinuance of the case doesn't do her any favours, no. doesn't do him any favours. And, and, and really, I think the reason for the discontinuance the, the blame for that isn't on the justice system. It's on the way particularly the media reported it right from the beginning. Get to that in a minute. This is what uh, Brittany Higgins said outside the court check. This, you, you, you believe this, this is of concern. Yep. This is what she said in part. This is the reality of how complainants in sexual assault cases are treated. Their lives are torn apart, their friends and families are called to the witness stand, and the accused has the legal right to say absolutely nothing. Now, there's nothing in, in, in what she said there is a presumption of, or well, from, from mine, goes against the presumption of innocence. Um, was, that was precisely what the judge in the case counselled against. I'm not sure whether she made it. Um, uh, it was an order of the court, but it was certainly a strong advice from the from the bench that no one should go outside the court and talk about it. And unfortunately, the complainant did go outside and talk about it straight away. And I think okay. I, I think that was going to um, take away any real prospect of another trial. Okay. Now, look, when we talk about how the media dealt with this, and it really is just awful. I mean, there are a number of people there who you just wonder why they're still in work. And, and I'll start with Lisa Wilkinson, uh, who took Higgins under her arm. Uh, her husband, too, Fitzsimmons, basically there was some discussion about a book being written and an advance being um, 
negotiated by Fitzsimmons, who was sort of acting as a, a commercial publishing agent, uh, Jack. Uh, and um, it's a nice uh, old feat too, Jack. You're a, you're a member of the uh, old man from the publishing trade and an author yourself. I hope yeah, you're getting that right. way. No, oh, well, look, twenty twenty five's not out of the question, mate, for an agent. Um, as a standard fee on on all an artist's uh, income, uh, be that a, a writer or a, or a musician or whatever, it's twenty twenty five. And I think the figure figure mentioned was three hundred and twenty five for the uh, for the book, was it? I think that was a fairly substantial advance. I don't know that it was ever actually finalised, but there would have been publishers throwing their mm. caps into the ring and that sort of order. Um, so, uh, you know. Part of the problem was, as I understand it, and the, and the Australian ran a piece on this on the weekend, uh, written in part by Janet L. Brexton, uh and uh, and, and uh, Clive as well, uh, and <coughs> and, um, uh, and 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 they were saying that there, that there were concerns about the police about about Brit- Brittany Higgins' evidence and her willingness to um, to work within uh, a criminal investigation, and. That seems to me to be very, very marked by or checkered by the involvement of journalists around that time. So rather than go to police, she was basically going to media personalities and and it was almost like the police reporting uh, was secondary and, 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 and showing willingness to be open with police as well. Yeah, it was. Um, I just don't think it was well handled at all. Um, uh, Judge Lucy McCallum um, made the point after um, Lisa Wilkinson's speech at the Logie Awards yeah. that the distinction between an allegation um, and a fact seemed to have disappeared entirely. Well, that alone set back the trial. Mm. What three, four months? Yes. So, so. so this matter could have so, been so, resolved. So, so what I'm saying is that the, the, the speech at the Logie set it back three or four months yeah. and, and, and in my view, the, 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 the statement outside the court killed it off killed it off altogether. All right. And that was after directly after the mistrial, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sorry, after the, um, well, yeah, mistrial, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's a completely unsatisfactory situation. Yeah, so for it's, everyone, a, te- it, it's for a terrible everyone. situation for everybody involved, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, put the blame where it belongs, and I think the media should have a, you know, it should be a look in the mirror time, a real good one, hard one look. One or two celebrity journalists, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. Mm. All right, 50 years since the election of the Whitlam government, Jack. The, I remember the, it well. What were the, you doing 50 years ago? Uh, well, I was just a young lad. Um, I did have my... Um, uh, it's time badge. Um, I uh, don't know where that is today, but I used to wear that around the place. Bearing in mind, Jack, I was just ten, um, so uh, I don't know. Don't think people were paying too much attention to my views, Jack. It was a major social event in Australian history. Um, uh, it, it's true also that it was a government that uh, lacked a lot of talent across the board. Um, and uh, and and was governed in part, at least by time servers, who'd been in opposition for a very long period of time. There was some new talent coming through. I think everyone acknowledges that the final budget handed down by the Whitlam government by Bill Hayden, the one that was ultimately uh, not passed through the Senate, bringing on the um, 
constitutional crisis and the ultimately the sacking of the Whitlam government uh, was a good budget. Uh, and of course, uh, Paul Keating, I think, was Minister for Aviation in that latter part of that government. For a couple of weeks, yeah. Uh, and I see you've got a little note here. Yeah, you know, it was yeah, it wasn't long. It wasn't long at all. Um, but, but he said at least they got out of Melbourne and Sydney sewer, Jack. And that was one thing that basically we can say about the Whitlam government. But I'll go a step further, mate. You know, Woolloomooloo wasn't sewered mm, before I did Whitlam. Know that. Yeah, you did, hmm. and, and and so I mean, it, you would you would we wouldn't perhaps put it high on the list of of the Whitlam government's achievements, but sewering our cities probably should be considered a pretty a pretty good and decent thing. Yeah, um, uh, an engineering mate of of mate of mine used to always tell me that at least they got that done. You know, because because the election of the government did change Australia. No uh, in, in a whole lot of social ways it changed Australia. But the government itself, although it had some great ideas, was a bit of a shambles, um, uh, at least until, uh, at least until um, Bill Hayden was appointed treasurer. Uh, yeah, that that was, and of course, it wasn't allowed to. Uh, he wasn't allowed to hand that budget down. That was considered to be a very, very good one, and that's probably why Fraser wouldn't let it through. Um, um, but uh, Jack, uh, I do recall the words of Charlie Watts, now deceased, the Rolling Stones drummer. He said he didn't enjoy his time um, in Australia the first time they visited. I think that was about '66. Um, but but uh, when the band returned and he returned with it. Uh, in the sort of post-Whitlam age, she said the country had sort of grown up quite suddenly. Uh, they were here in 73, I think, is, is, is so my was, It would have been, I'm going to say, Ki- 66. Keong Ki- tennis courts, I think. 73, and, and, and that, he, that he, he found the, the, the country much changed for the better. Um, I direct um, anyone who's got a... Got a got an interest in this, have a listen to Noel Pearson's speech uh, at, uh, at, the, at, at the memorial for Gough Whitlam uh, uh, where he talks about, he talks about uh, uh, conservatives being like, uh, uh, being like uh, Michael Palin and John Cleese in, li- in Life of Brian, what have the Romans done for us lately? And, and he puts that on Whitlam. What, what, is this, what is this old uh, this old Roman done for us lately? It's a beautiful speech. Check it out on YouTube. Jack Sport, uh, the World Cup. The Aussies, uh, the Aussies did all right. <laughs> Probably a bit lucky to get through into the into the final sixteen, but they got in there and then they got they got beaten two one by by uh, Argentina. And, yeah, and uh, he- an English mate of mine at the start of the tournament, uh, we were drawing our lots in the um, in the sweep, and I think I drew Wales, uh, and one of the other guys drew Aussie, and I said, "Well, he's not that much better off than me." And and, and Will, my my English friend, said, "Well, they're Aussies, mate. They'll be well drilled. They'll be hard fit, uh, and they'll and they'll have a real crack at it, and they just might get out of the group." And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, they look. They did extremely well. We've got some. Um, Haven't got enough good players, but they, you know. But well, we'll yeah. get to one of our reader. We'll, we'll get to one of our reader letters in, in a minute as to as to how the game of soccer, as we call it in this country, uh, how it how it how it expands and develops. 
um, or do they just let this through? Um, uh, there are major problems in soccer development. But I just want to get you this some there's some um, mouth-watering um, uh, games coming our way very, very soon, not least of all England v France, Jack. Agincourt again. Yes, coming up very coming up this week, I think Wednesday Sat- night. or Saturday, or, Saturday night, I think. I say, I say, well, it'll be Saturday morning, I suppose, our way. Yeah. It'll be about 2 o'clock in the morning. I thought it was a little, little bit earlier than that. They still haven't quite got through the group stuff yet. Um, it may well be, of course, well, it, had we beaten Argentina, we would have played the Netherlands, who looked to be in fairly good form. The Brazilians aren't far away either. They haven't. Well, they have qualified into the into the in, into the uh, yeah the the, the Brazilians they haven't played uh, their playoff yet. Yeah. The the Brazilians look like they'll get Japan in the quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and and the Argentinians, if they beat the Netherlands, may have to play. Oh, yeah, no, I think I've got that wrong. Brazil may have to play Argentina as well, Jack. That would be Which, in the semi, I think. That would be in the semi. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So I've I've gone through the, uh, I've gone through but the, the, the the Japanese. I wouldn't underestimate the them. They're they're pretty good. The Jap, 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 uh, Japan have been very very good. Um, had some flat moments, but they've been very very good overall. Look, I still think England might, uh, you know, I think, still think England might just come over the top, um, but they'll have to beat a very good French side. So, so for me, French and France and Brazil are the sides to beat. Um, but uh, we're getting down to the uh, getting almost down to that final eight now, Jack. And I just want to talk. A, 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 a man will know pretty well from his musings over the years, Jack. This is a reader and listener. Bass, uh, bass man and calls himself bass man because he's a bit of a muso. Plays, in fact, he uh, in his letter today, he attached a little photo of himself surrounded by speakers, uh, and he was he, he was having a, having a bit of a complaint about the cost of uh, sport at junior level for his children, uh, and he quoted from the Sydney Morning Herald today. He said, however, soccer club officials warn the high costs of playing the game. Up to $2,000 a season at some junior clubs means some kids who want, to, uh, who want to may be denied the chance. Football Australia Chief James Johnson has conceded costs associated with elite junior pathway system are too high. Uh, Socceroos coach Graham Arnold called for an in-depth review of Australia's soccer pathways this weekend, this week and said he fears for the future if Australia's young soccer talent aren't given greater opportunities and junior teams continue to struggle with limited resources. So there are problems with the game and and now you would think it's the time to resolve them. Otherwise, you know, this is all this has all been for not for naught. Good to hear from Bassman again. Um, uh, remember reading him uh, on your blog uh, when that existed? Yes. Um, I think the um, the, the problem that, that soccer or football has in Australia is that they need more money to come in at the top from the TV rights and the sale of shirts or whatever it is um, because that's what's led to success for the other codes, uh, for the NRL and for the AFL in particular, um, that they've been able to use that money to build grassroots sport. And soccer's never really had that level of money in Oz to do that. Well, it just doesn't have the broadcast rights. So if we look at, no. if we look at, uh, you know, the the uh, the competition here, um, you know, you, it it it, uh, it it certainly gets some broadcast rights out of it, but it, but it doesn't have huge. Not following. enough money. Yeah. Um, it is probably after rugby union, 
uh, well, in line with rugby union, the 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 code, the football code that uh, has the the biggest international stake. Um, but look, I think Baseman was talking about cricket too, um, and. You know, if you if you happen to find your son or daughter is is getting into that elite junior pathway, um, then it becomes a very expensive exercise for the parents. Um, you know, just just kidding a kidding a, a kid out with uh, with cricket gear, you know, helmet, bat, pads, all that sort of stuff. That's going to cost you the best part of three grand. I mean, you can't buy a bat that's any good these days under six hundred. You're going to probably buy a grand for a bat. So yeah, it's very, well, very it, difficult for, for people. I mean, if you're, you know, this is why we say, oh, you know, there's a, there's a kid who's come from from uh, from an elite private school and so forth. Well, it's the economics of this means that we're finding a lot of kids can't, you know, their parents can't afford uh, putting them into 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 that sort of elite junior pathway. But if you want soccer to grow and to be successful. Uh, so it's AFL or NRL. You look at what the AFL have done with Auskick, which is a tremendous success, um, and see what the, the they can provide a, a good pathway for a hell of a lot of kids to get a start in it. And then they have the academies on top of that where you um, you give everyone a chance to play for a while and then the, the various clubs and regions have their academies where you take the better players out of that group and give them a hand. And that's what you've got to do. I just don't think soccer's got the money to do that at the moment. Oh, look, there, there, there is, you know, we've got the various state sporting bodies who can look after, you know, the kids at that elite level. For me, it's not the junior development side that, that, that you know, soccer's junior development is actually pretty good. It's the senior game in a very competitive, um, in a com- com- very competitive environment. Um, and look, you know, part of the problem, Jack, is would you take if you had young children, would you take them to a game uh, uh, featuring the Sydney Wanderers? No. Um, you know, uh, I mean, or, or indeed the the the, the Sydney. The other, the other, the other league side, the other Sydney side, with their, you know, where you've got a few people offering, you know, uh, Nazi salutes and what, you know, I mean, it's just there's, there's still that there's still that element in that game that needs to be removed, and you yes. won't get big crowds while those people are there. Yeah, Frank Lowy, when he was there, did some great work to try and when he, when he was um, head of the Football Federation of Australia, some great work to try and stamp that out, but it hasn't been entirely successful. All right, moving over to the cricket, Jack. England scored 500 uh, in Roel Pendy. Um, and the first day of a test. On the opening day of a test match. Yeah, never, never been, been done before. Never been done before. And it, and, uh, and it did, turned out to be a bit of a road. Um, uh, Michael Vaughan, I noticed, was full of compliments for oh, the English, English batting well, on day one. Uh, and on day two, he was complaining the pitch wasn't fit for test purposes. <laughs> day, two, day two, with Pakistan three for 400, he, he said the pitch was a joke. Yeah. Uh, I, well, did enjoy, I did enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. look, it was, just, uh, it was just awful. I mean, and the big name player. So, so Joe Root didn't, make, uh, didn't get the 100. I think um, Stokes got a few, but he didn't get 100. And, uh, and and just hundreds have been scored like T not T twenty somewhere between T twenty and, and ODI rate. I think I think the, the two of the four centurions on the def- first day that was their first century. 
Yeah, yeah, and they just blitzed them. So the, the ball is absolutely doing nothing. I mean, Australia played Pakistan in Pakistan just recently for the first time in many, many years, and and we found the same sort of thing. The, the wickets are being they're, they're too defensive. That they, yes. they, they don't want the Pakistan crowd to uh, to watch the Pakistan team lose, and so these they're built, they're building these roads, making these roads. They need to fix that up. They you, prefer you, a draw. Uh, <laughs> it's no, it's no way to, uh, uh, no way to promote cricket, and you, and and, uh, and poor old Jimmy Anderson, the old Rolls Royce there, <laughs> had to drag him out and bowl out, and you know, but he wouldn't bowl bumpers. That's too, that's asking too much. Yeah, no, there was a great comment on. I was following this a bit on Crick Info um, uh, when when I, when I can't get a, a screenshot of the game, I'll sometimes have Crick Info on a little box up in the corner of my computer, and. Uh, uh, they decided, I think they set uh, the Pakistanis 330 to get in 100 overs, um, which is yeah. kind of doable on a track like that. Yeah, haven't um, caught the score. Haven't, haven't and, caught and, the score yet. And Ben Stokes, who I think is a great cricketer and, and captain, came out and decided, well, uh, we're getting nothing out of the wicket. Let's try and um, bang a few in short and see if we can't get a few out. And they got a couple out. And one of the commenters said, "Why isn't Jimmy Anderson bowling? Because they, you know, they normally open with him. Um, great new ball bowler." And and the comment came back, um, "Bumpers from Jimmy? It'd be like asking a Ferrari to carry carry scaffolding, you know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Jimmy and Jimmy, it must be said, he nearly forty, Jack. Um, yeah, he still bowls you, well though. You kill, oh, look, absolutely, when conditions suit, but um, uh, he. <laughs> that's not that's not suiting. That doesn't no. suit him at all. No, you'd be better off playing another quick, to be honest. Anyway, uh, Australia won the uh, won the first test against the Windies. I thought the Windies stuck pretty manfully to the task against a very very good side. Uh, I thought the wicket was uh, a, a decent one for Test cricket. Um, a lot of these drop in. Uh, test uh, uh, wickets now in Perth, Melbourne, Adelaide, etc. They're not; they don't wear much, so you don't get a lot from the spinner. But then Lyon popped up with what six hundred and twenty-eight yesterday. And uh, if Has it, saw, hasn't he gotten better? Has it? His he just gets better as he goes. Along. His ball groupings, mate, are astonishingly good. So they showed two overs of his bowling. And there was a little mark. It was a it was a foot scuff from from a right arm uh, from a from a right arm bowler at the other end. Uh, it'd be the last step of the foot from him before he gets off the wicket, and it just scuffed up a patch, probably well half the size of a foot. And uh, and he, you know, with twelve balls, he hit that he hit that spot twelve times. Um, yeah, that's you know that's handkerchief stuff, and and that. Is in the, the, and, the, the handkerchief joke, handkerchief line comes from Bill O'Reilly. He used to ball, put a handkerchief on the practice wicket. Yeah, and bowl so there you go. They used war, boots war, and all war, sorts war, of things. Warney used to put a ball down um, and, and bowl until he hit the ball. Yeah. Lyon's control is becoming extraordinary. He's also getting the variations now. Look, uh, um, I, I, I thought also, you know, Head just picking up a couple of wickets. He actually broke... Uh, some partnerships that were starting to look a little bit difficult for him, and just what a hell of a cricket he's become. He came out, got the ninety nine, um, uh, really got Australia's scoring rate accelerated. We can't forget uh, Marnus Labuschagne with two hundred and one hundred, and Steve Smith with two hundred not out. Um, but uh, uh, he, he's just looking a very, very good cricketer. The uh, South Australian captain. 
and Steve Smith with four great catches as well as the yeah, hundred. Yeah, didn't he? Didn't he? well in the slips to 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 line in particular. All right, now we just want to talk as we've got about to wrap things up. We do want to have a bit of a chat about uh, Twitter, the uh, Elon Musk, what he's talking about now, and the the, the, the whole business with. Uh, uh, with the um, uh, the Biden laptop, Hunter Biden laptop and all that sort of stuff. There was a bit of stuff that came out from Matt Taibbi, a journalist who's obviously got the ear of Elon Musk. But unfortunately, the idiot can't run a, can't run a thread on Twitter, Jack. It was so a bit hard to follow. It was a bit hard. To, he was going off on all sorts of tangents. We want to have a good look at Twitter under Elon Musk and we're going to put that uh, into our conversations next week. The other thing we're going to do before Christmas, Jack, is talk about our political insults. So that's on the agenda for next week. Uh, but yep. also from Twitter, Jack, it was a rough time for Germany. Yeah, this is a comment from an American um, tweeter. Um, uh, and, you know, un- unusual for Americans, they've all been following the World Cup because the USA team is until the last right. They're pretty good, uh, actually, yeah. They're pretty good. Um, uh, and his comment was, um, it was a rough day for Germany, eliminated from the World Cup, and it's a new India, Indiana Jones trailer out, um, uh, and a black man is now the the Nazi comms director. I think that might be a might be a reference to our friend Yay. Uh, yes, indeed, that might be. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not my calling Yay. I won't call him. I won't call him yeah. Yay at all. But uh, look, yeah. So we're going to get onto that Twitter discussion. That's actually very good. The Germans, I think they they were thinking about things besides football, Jack. I think that's what. Uh, that's what the the hardheads in the football world are saying that they've gone in there expecting the protests and so forth didn't happen and and uh, and they just weren't concentrating on the footy. Well, I think they thought they could stroll out of their group pretty easily and then but get serious when the when the knockout stuff came and they didn't they quite didn't get out of the group. Time. They didn't last. You'd think they'd be you know gung ho uh, after getting uh, after getting rolled out. Uh, in the group stage, yeah. Well, the, the, the group stage has been terrific, I've got to say. It's been really good football uh, oh, it uh, is, to watch. Uh, it's, and, it's, and, and a measure of how much more even the competition now is that some of these smaller nations play pretty well. Oh, the Africans have always been good and now they're really just exploding, Jack. So the game is, the game is uh, well, it's, it's just a wonderful tournament to watch. You know, if you look at the, if you look at the, the number of people watching, it's line ball with the Olympics as to what is the biggest bread and circuses uh, show yeah. in the world. And, but, um, but Qatar aside, the host nation, every other team, team showed some promise, showed some real, real good stuff. Yeah, indeed. All right. So, thank you very much for your time today, Jack. Uh, we've uh, covered just about everything, and uh, and uh, we've been to China all the way around the world, and then to Australia. And we just want to let our listeners know: if you like what you're hearing, or you don't, drop us a line, ask us some questions, uh, and uh, we'd love to uh, get back to you on all of those. We do have a few listener. Um, request that we're dealing with at the moment. You can hit me up on uh, on Twitter in my DMs, always open, uh, or you can uh, uh, hit up the show's uh, email address, which is the conditional release. Sorry, let me start that again. The conditional release program at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. See you, folks. Cheers.